Well, hey, good morning. My name is Adam. It's great to be with you. I just have to say the only thing that would have made that video better if they would have fit in a cat segment, although there wasn't anything in there. No, I joke. Hey, my name is Adam, and it's, it's great to be with you. For, for some of you, uh, this is kind of a homecoming and a, a reuniting because uh, we've known each other. I was, on the pa- I was one of the pastors on staff here at Meadowland for, for six years, and uh, God really gave my wife and I a burden to, to plant a new church. And so working along the elders here and the staff here, we kind of created this diabolical plan where we were going to be uh, sent out to go start a new church in Belvedere, Illinois. And since July, we've been on that mission to, to plant a new church called Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. And, and things have been really going well. There's been ups and downs and, and all kinds of different things happening. In fact, uh, people ask me all the time for updates and, and what's going on. And we have a, a mailing thing that we send out uh, weekly. We have another one we send out monthly. And so if you ever wanted to get any updates from us, you could sign up for that. You just write it on your communication card. Hey, we want the update. And, and I'll send you the update. I kind of feel like I'm replaying a segment of life that I've already been through in the sense of, uh, for me, it was when I graduated college and I was uh, in that, that prep- preparation mode to marry my wife. And so I was getting my own place. And like my dad had had the conversation with me of, hey, like it, they're your bills now, all of them, like they're, they're yours. And, uh, and, and so that was kind of scary because rent was coming, utility bills were coming and everything had a price tag. And I had, you know, this much money, but the bills were this much money and how to figure all, all that out. And that's kind of where we are as a, as a church plant. I feel like a broken record in many ways because people ask me, hey, how are you doing? And I feel like I kind of give people a sales pitch, you know, do you want to make a difference? <laughs> what are you doing right now that might change a life for eternity? What if I told you your, your money could make a difference? What if you could change the outcome of the spiritual temperature of an entire county? And people are like, bro, we talked yesterday. And I'm like, well, here, here's, here's why we, we talk like that. God has really given us a burden for Boone County. In fact, I won't bore you with tons and st- tons of stats, but here's something that's just kind of grasped my heart. In Boone County, uh, it's a tiny county. If you ever look at a county map of Illinois, we're that like tiny little county kind of in there. Like we're the little one that nobody thinks about. We're in Boone County and there's 54,000 people in the entire county. I know that's not astounding, okay? And McHenry County has towns that are that big, right? But our, our entire Boone County is 54,000 people. And I'm going to round up because I like to make math easy. I think math would be easier if we just rounded everything to whole numbers, right? That'd be awesome. I mean, that'd be awesome. You know, and if you were shopping, you just go down, right? I mean, that way we can save money because I'm all about that. But, but so we're going to round up. There's 54,000 people in our entire county. Now, here's the deal. Half of those people live in our city. And God just kind of put a burden on our hearts for this place called Belvedere because we had this crazy idea of we could probably reach the entire county through this city. If half of the people in our county live there, if everybody comes there to shop, to work, and to play, then what if we saturated that city in the gospel and saw the gospel go out from that place? Now, here's what's really interesting. According to, because I want to get this right, according to the Association of Religious Data Archives, that sounds really official. The Association of Religious Data Archives reports that 34,000 people in our county are not saved, do not believe in the gospel, and have no relationship with the church whatsoever. Now, I went to public school, and I'm not that smart, but I can do the math on that and that's over half. It means over half of our county are far from God. In fact, not only are they far from God, maybe they're not even interested in a relationship with God, but they have no relationship with the church whatsoever. 
And so like for a crowd like this, that means they don't even go to church on Christmas and Easter. And you start to have conversations with people, and it's not that they're even against the gospel. It's not that, that they've been deterred, that they had a bad experience, that they have absolutely no idea what it means when you say that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again. They just have no idea. And God has just given us this heart that when we talk about Redemption Church, we're just on a mission to introduce people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to present people with the gospel. We want them to, to understand who Jesus is. We want to get them in environments where they can explore. In fact, we talk about kind of these three values at Redemption Church. And we want Redemption Church to be a place that you can belong, a place that you can believe, and a place that you can become. That's what we're about, those three things. That we live in a time where any single one of us probably in this room could whip out some sort of smartphone or tablet and be instantly connected to thousands of people. And yet... The study shows us that even though we're more connected than we've ever been before digitally, we're lonelier than we've ever been before. And that there's something beautiful and there's something sacred about community. And I, I'm personally afraid that we're losing that as a culture. That there's something about getting around a table and breaking bread together. That there's something about having conversations. There's something about knowing people and being known. So we as a church want to be a place where people can belong. A, a place like you can walk in the door and go, I know those people and those people know me. We're kind of like family. And you don't even have to believe what we believe, but we just want you to have a place where you can belong. We're kind of like cheers without the bar where everybody knows your name. Now, we don't want you just to belong because otherwise we're just a club, right? Otherwise, we're just kind of a social gathering of belonging. And we have a goal in our meetings. We have a goal in our gatherings. Is we, we want you to believe in Christ and him crucified. And so everything we do is, is a step towards that. We want to point you to Jesus. In many ways, I feel like a tour guide. I go, hey, the whole reason that you're here is because maybe you missed that, but his name is Jesus. And maybe you don't quite understand the significance of it, but God sent his son to this earth because he loved you, that God took on the flesh and died on the cross as a penalty for your sin and my sin so that I never have to face the wrath or judgment of God. Christ did it for me. Do you get that? Do you understand what that means for your life? See, once people get wrapped up in the gospel, once people begin to look at Jesus and understand who he is, once they're saved by him and they're in this process of surrendering their life to them, so we believe Christianity is simply taking a step followed by another step following after Jesus for the rest of our lives. So for us, this idea of a growing relationship is huge because we want you to come as you are. We just don't want you to stay that way. And we just want to help people take step after step after step after step. And so we talk about faith as a journey and not a guilt trip. And so we want people to become. That we want you to belong. We want you to believe. And we want you to become all that God desires for you. That I believe this about you and I believe this about me and I believe this about everybody in Boone County. That God created them on purpose for a purpose. That maybe your parents told you you were a mistake or a surprise, but God says in his word that he created you. That he knew that you were coming before he laid the foundations of the world. There's no such thing as a mistake when it comes to God. And so you want people to understand who Jesus is. We want them to get saved by Jesus, and we want them to live on purpose. We want them to understand what Scripture says. We want them to do what James says. We want you to be hearers and doers of the word. And so for the last five months, we, we moved out to Boone County. We knew a few people. We had no building, no money, no people. We just kind of said, hey, we're going to go out and start a church, kind of kamikaze style. I have a, a coach. I actually have two men, pastors, coaching me right now, and one of them said, hey, what's the next five months going to look like? And I said, hey, if we're going to fail, we're going to fail hard. <laughs> like, if we're going to go down, we're going down on fire, screaming, and we're taking a few people with us. Like, it's going to be huge. 
Like, because if you're going to fail, you might as well fail hard. And so, like, we didn't really know what we were doing, and we just kind of started meeting with people and asking people, hey, would you like to see a new church? Hey, do you love Jesus? Hey, would you like to see people introduced to Jesus? Do you need Jesus? And we started just gathering in somebody's garage, and they turned into a rec room. And all of a sudden, like, relationships started forming, and people started coming. And as of now, Redemption Church is about 35, 40 people who weekly gather together to take next steps and follow Jesus. And we're a total ragamuffin group. We look kind of like the church should look. We've got people who, man, they could amaze you with the wisdom and the depth of their relationship with Jesus. We've got people that every time they open your mouth, you pray, dear Lord, please have grace on us because we have no idea what's coming next. We have some people who are actively seeking Jesus. We have a couple people who've come kicking and screaming. But it's us. And we're just kind of unified in this mission that we want to make a difference in our, in our county that we want to see the gospel take hold. And so to do that, we've been gathering together, and we feel like now it's kind of time to become official. We've kind of had a launch team. We've had these small group gatherings. Monthly, we meet in a middle school for a Sunday night worship gathering, which, by the way, nobody in Boone County wants to go to church on Sunday night. Nobody. Not even our launch team wants to go to church on Sunday night. And so we, we've been praying through that and, and thinking through that, and we feel like God is giving us some wisdom and, and a next step that we're going to actually officially launch Redemption Church on Sunday mornings on March 15th. And we're really, really excited about that. We're really, really nervous about that because uh, not a whole lot's changed. We still don't have a building. We still don't have any money. Now we just have some people. And so we're going to launch a church on, on Sunday morning, and so I kind of feel like we're, we're, we're starting to sign bills, and I just signed a, a weekly contract at the school, and then I realized how much that was going to cost us every month, and I kind of had one of those, really, Jesus moments? Like, really? I'm going to trust you that, that you can cover this? And we have, like, parts of a sound system, and so we're working with our worship team. We're starting to, like, put together a sound system. And I just had a, a couple phone conversations with guys who sell sound equipment. And, and, and to each of them, I was like, hey, this is awesome. Can I get 50% off? Like, is there a coupon that I don't know about? Can I send you pictures of my children? Like, what, what do you need? Like, how can I somehow emotionally engage you to feel uh, either excited enough or bad enough for us to give me a discount on this stuff? And then, like, out of the blue, I had a guy call us and go, hey, I saw your, your most recent update. I feel like God's telling me to buy you a projector. And I was like, what price range is he leading you to? <laughs> right? There's like the one I want, but if, hey, if he's leading you, like this one the size of a VW, that'd be awesome. Just drive it into the school. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and so we're kind of in this process of, of just trying to figure this all out. And it's, it's wonderfully beautiful. It's absolutely messy. And it's completely driven by faith. And for us, it is as a couple and as a family, Audrey and I have just been focused on, hey, we'll just take the next step, each step of the way. In fact, that's one of the things I love about Meadowland Church, is Meadowland Church is a church that believes in next steps. I love that Meadowland Church believes that life is a journey and no one should have to walk alone, that if you still have breath in your lungs this morning, it means God's not done with you yet, and there's still things he wants to accomplish in your life. There's still things that he wants to do. There's still next steps that need to be taken. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. In fact, Steve is just crazy enough that he asked me to come and speak for two weeks. So I, I, you have to deal with me at least this week, maybe next week you won't even show up. But I'll be here for two weeks, and I thought, hey, if we're going to be here for two weeks, kind of in the Word together, then I wanted to somehow tie it together. And I asked Steve if we could kind of do this two-week series called Don't Waste Your Life. Because here's the deal, right? It's the new year. And for whatever reason, as the, as the new year kind of opens and the last year kind of closes, we kind of get in this meditative, reflective state. 
and we begin to set goals and resolutions and things that we want to do. And I love what Steve said, that he just set one that he knew he would fail on, and I thought that was beautiful. And, and what I want you to consider this morning is, listen, your goals are probably awesome. Like, I believe that you're all really smart people, and, and you probably know the things that you want to do. There's probably things that you need to start doing. There's probably some things you should stop doing. In fact, if you want to start doing things, you probably need to stop doing some things. You, you probably have areas of your life that you want to see different outcomes, and so you, you want to make a different patterns and habits and get in, in, in different types of rhythms, so one day you'll see those outcomes. But here's, here's, here's just what I want you to think about yourself. Just this morning, I just want to ask a question, and, and here's, here's the deal. The question is so simple. But it's actually so simple that you'll probably think, why is this a big deal? But I'm going to ask you just to kind of step out in faith and just trust me a little bit. For some of us, we're just, we're just meeting for the first time, and so you're like, why would I trust you? And I go, because I, I don't know. So I'm asking you just to blindly trust me. But just ask this question, because I think it's profound for you. I think it's profound for me. I think the answer will have a huge impact on our lives. Now, here's what's, here's what's awesome. As a preacher, I'm used to telling people this is what the Word of God says. What will you do with it? As a church planter, I'm used to asking a lot of questions. In fact, the first few months of, of church planting, I, you can ask my wife, I was always frustrated because I wanted to tell people, but I felt like I, I needed to ask people. And so this morning, I'm going to live in the tension because I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, and I'm going to go home. And you'll be like, thanks, bro. And, and here's what I want to throw out to you is you kind of wrestle with these questions, even though they seem real simple. I want you to get into your, your small groups, your life groups. I want you to talk to Steve. I want you to talk to the elders. I want you to talk to, to other believers because I'm telling you, even though it seems really, really simple, it's really, really profound. And here it is. When it comes to your walk with Christ, what is your next step? That's it. When it comes to your walk, not your husband's walk, not your wife's walk, not your kid's walk, not the person that you think needs this message. When it comes to your walk, when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, what is your next step? Now here's, here's what I'm going to suggest to you. My suggestion is, you already know what it is. See, even as I asked the question, you probably went, oh, he knows. And I don't. <laughs> That's why I'm just going to ask the questions. But see, here's what I believe about you. I believe that you're all really, really smart. And I believe you already know, because you've been thinking about it. You've been wrestling with it. It's something that you have conversations about, or it's the thing that you don't ever want to have conversation about. When it comes to your walk with Christ, what is your next step? For some of you, maybe it's salvation. Maybe you've been hanging out for a while, you've heard the gospel, you know who Jesus is, and you're kind of in that place where you're wondering, should I, shouldn't I, when do I, have I prayed the prayer, should I pray the prayer again, I'm just not sure, is Jesus mine and am I his? Is it, maybe it's time for you to start 2015 and take that next step and say yes to Jesus and surrender to him as your Lord and your Savior. For some of you, maybe it's baptism. Maybe you've been saved by Jesus and you're like, hey, I've been saved, but this whole getting dunked in water thing, I mean, come on. For real? See, it's one of those things that Jesus tells us. That when you get saved, we also get baptized. Not because baptism saves us. 
because it's that first next step. It's that going public. It's that physical illustration that when Jesus was dead and buried, I was dead and buried with him. And when he rose again, I rose again with him. I've been washed clean. I've been made new. I'm a new creation. I'm his. Maybe it's baptism. For some of you, maybe it's serving. Maybe it's time to get in the game. Maybe it's time to, to start to begin to serve and use the gifts and the abilities and the time and the talents that Jesus has given you. And see, I can say this because I, I get to go home. But listen, like serving every now and then isn't really serving. It's cute, but it's not really serving. And see, maybe it's time to actually get involved. Maybe it's time to take up your cross and make a sacrifice and say, you know what, I'm going to get in the game. I'm going to help make a difference. I want to see as many people saved in McHenry County through this place, and so I'm willing to give up a little bit of time. I'm willing to give up a little bit of energy. I'm willing to give up a little bit of myself. I'm, I'm willing to get a little bit busy. I might have to say no to other things, but I'll say yes to this, and I'll begin to serve. Maybe it's not so much physical, maybe it's emotional and spiritual. Maybe it's time to forgive somebody. Maybe you've been holding on to that grudge. Maybe you've been holding on to that hurt. Maybe you've been holding on to that offense. Maybe it's time just to nail that one to the cross and let Jesus deal with it. And listen, listen, listen. I get it. Forgiveness can be tough. Emotionally, it can be hard. But sooner or later, you've got to take the step and say, I've been forgiven, so I forgive. Maybe it's time to share your faith and have that conversation. Because we as believers can get really cute about sharing our faith. And sometimes it just means sitting down and having a conversation and go, can I tell you what I believe? Hey, would you be willing to come? Hey, can I, can I just, here's the deal, I, I care about you, and I know this might make me weird, but like, I believe in a place called hell, and I think you might be going there. I'd like to help. At least give me one chance. Maybe it's time to share your faith. Maybe it's time to step up, and maybe you've been praying for that person for a while, but maybe it's time to invite them. Maybe it's time to invest in them. Maybe it's time just to share the gospel Maybe it's time to surrender a certain area of your life, whatever it is for you. Maybe it's a financial one. Maybe there's a, a secret sin that you've been wrestling with for a long time. Maybe it's time to surrender that one to Jesus and say, no more. Uh, maybe there's some, some stuff going on there that you've never talked about. Maybe there's some areas that you just know that you're, you're being disobedient to Jesus. And maybe it's time just to surrender to him and say, God, not my will, but your will. Be done. And now here's, here's the deal. It's a really, really simple question that I think will have a profound impact on our lives. But it's not just because I think we should talk about it. It's not just because I wanted to show up on the first Sunday in January and create tension in the room. It's because I believe this. I believe the following to be absolutely true. And if you don't listen to like any more of the sermon up to this point, you'll at least know where we're going. If you fall asleep, if you start thinking about the snow, if you, you, you know, pretend to turn on your Bible and you play Word with friends, at least you'll know where we're going. Here's what I believe. When it comes to your next step, whatever it is for you, when it comes to taking your next step following Christ, I believe this with all that I am. If you take your next step it will eventually lead you to joy. It will.
In fact, as we open up our Bibles this morning, I think Jesus tells us that following him and saying yes to him and being obedient to him step after step for the rest of our lives will always lead us to joy. However, putting off your next step, never taking your next step, or just downright saying no to your next step will always lead you to regret. Always. And see, in the balance is, do I have enough confidence and trust in Jesus to take my next step? And I believe if you do take your next step, it will always lead you to joy. But if you put off your next step, it will always lead you to regret. And here's why. See, when it comes to God's word, kind of the big theological word we use for describing when God speaks, when God reveals himself is revelation. Not the book of Revelation, but all of God's word. And so one of the reasons we talk about reading your Bible so much is, is your Bible is God's revelation to all people for all time. That as you open up your word, even if you land in the book of Numbers, It's God's revelation to you. It leads you to who he is. It tells you the truth about him. It tells you the truth about sin. It tells you the truth about yourself. It tells you the truth about everything. That if we want to know who God is, this is the place to find it. If you want to know know God's will, you first have to know his voice. And see, God's revelation always demands a response. And I would argue with you that whenever we interact with God, whenever we interact with God's word, when we see his revelation, we always respond in some way. Either we say yes to him or we say no to him or maybe we wrestle with him, but God's revelation always demands a response. Which means, as you think about your next step this morning, God's revelation will demand a response from you. In some way, shape, or form, you'll, you'll have to say yes, or you'll have to say no, or you'll just have to wrestle. But, but when we read God's word, that's what James says, right? I want you to be hearers and doers. Why? Why is that so important? Because doing is a response to the hearing. Applying is a response to the revelation. It's the activation of doing what God says and obe- being obedient to him. Well, why would we want to do that? Because Jesus says if we love him, we would obey him. And that it's not based on works, but it's because we love him so much. That we're so in love with a God who would love us. That we're so in love with a God who would send his son to die on a cross for us, that we would be motivated to to do the things that he tells us to do because we believe that he loves us and that he wants what's best for us. And if we do what he tells you to do, it'll always lead you to joy. And I want you to see this this morning, so I'd love for you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. If you want to turn on your Bible or thumb through your Bible, Matthew chapter 25 at Meadowland Church, there's those Bibles kind of scattered throughout the chairs. If you, if you grab one of those, I think we're on page 830. But Matthew chapter 25, starting about verse 14. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Now let me give you a little context of what's happening here. Uh, Jesus is teaching. His disciples are there. there there's people who are, are just trying to figure out who he is. And, and the question comes up kind of about end times. What will the end times look like? What do you mean this world will end Jesus and there'll be a, a second coming? What, what does that mean? 
Jesus begins to teach on it. And I think Jesus and all his holiness and all his wisdom and all his truth kind of realizes that sometimes we don't just, we're not able to handle the full truth. We just don't always get it. So Jesus begins to speak in three parables. He says, let me tell you some stories. And in the midst of the story, you'll see the truth. So in Matthew chapter 25, this is actually the second of, of the three. Jesus says, for it will be like... And you go, well, what will be like? And he's talking about the end times. He's talking about the, the time when God will call into account all people once and for all. At that time when all people will stand before God and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And he says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who has called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability and then he went away. Now, I think if we, we really want to get the whole context here, I think if we, we really want to get the whole picture, one of the things we have to know, and Jesus is going to reveal this to us later, so I'm going to go ahead and kind of reveal it to you, and then we're going to get there, is that the master in this story has a goal. And the master's goal is actually to bless his servants. That he's a good master that he cares for his servants, and he wants to bless them. And see, one of the things we, we have to understand about God, I think one of the things we have to wrestle with with God is maybe you have a picture of God, and I maybe want to help you update your picture, but one of the things God wants to do through his presence in your life is bless you. That, that when you have a relationship with God, that it would be about his kingdom in your life. It would be about his activity and his presence. And listen, as I read my Bible, it seems like everywhere the king of kings go, there's blessing. People get saved and people get healed. Provisions are taken care of. People are provided for. The miraculous happens. No, for no other reason than the fact that Jesus is there because of his presence, because he's about his father's work. Jesus tells this parable and he says, hey, here, here's what's happening the master's going on a trip, and he actually blesses his servants before he goes. To one servant, he gives five talents. To one servant, he gives two talents. And to one servant, he has one. Now, what's taking place here is the master is specifically blessing those servants. You see, when it comes to God, I think God blesses us in two ways. There's what we call general blessing and what we call specific blessing. See, general blessing is because God is sovereign over this world because he owns all things and all things are his. It means that he just does certain things because he's God. Like the fact that we woke up this morning and the sun came up was God's general blessing. The sun came up on the righteous and the wicked. But when it snowed, it wasn't like your unbeliever's neighbor's yard didn't have any in it or had more in it, right? You just had a light dusting and he got dumped upon. Like, God doesn't operate that way. There's general blessings. Like the fact that when we woke up this morning, there was still air in the atmosphere to be breathed is God's general blessing to us. And see, sometimes we get a hard heart towards God because maybe you're here and you don't trust God. Maybe you came kicking and screaming this morning. Maybe you're like, I don't even care about this because I don't believe... God blesses me. I don't think God has ever blessed me. And I would push back and go, really? Because there's something happening in your chest right now. And I would argue with you that you have zero control over it. And it's your heartbeat. See, God created that thing. He made it. 
It's only by his design is it beating right now. In fact, it's only by his power and his might that somehow this thing keeps pumping and ticking and working, even though you have zero control over it. See, I would argue that the fact that your heart's beating right now is simply a fact of God's blessing in your life, because you can't do anything about it anyway. It's about God's blessing. And see, what's interesting then is God specifically blesses. And in this parable, Jesus talks about the master blessing the servants. And, and this is really, really important because some of you already got there really, really fast because you're, you're good at math. And it says that the master gave one guy five, one guy two, and one guy one. And I'll say it so you don't have to because you already thought it. And you go, well, that's just not fair. I mean, this is America. We don't do that. There's not winning and losing anymore. It's, you all played a good game. There's not first and second place in Little League. They all go home winners. And so we begin to push back a little bit and go, well, man, who wants to be the guy that got one? Now, let me put this into perspective a little bit. If we were to maybe begin to put this into our economy today, what, what if we said these talents were worth about a million dollars? So to one servant, he gave five million. To one servant, he gave two million. And to one servant, he gave one million. Now, I'll just reveal to you something about myself. If I got chosen for that lineup and God gave me one million, I'd be thrilled. I'd look at the fourth guy and be like, nana, nana, boo, boo, you got nothing, but I got a million. And like, hey, that's cool that you got five, and that's, that's cool that you got two, but baby, we're going out for dinner tonight, and everybody's getting steak because we got a million. So God has the dire to bless us. Here's the problem with you, and here's the problem with me, is often God's blessings don't feel like blessings to us, because we're too busy looking at other people's blessings. See, too often in our life is, is God's doing things according to his good will and perfect purpose in our lives, and we don't recognize it, and we're not thankful for it, because we're looking down the line going, uh, for real? He got five? Like, he got one? I mean, like, a four and five, I could get that. The difference of one is cool, but Five and one, and who does he think he is? He got two. And we go home and go, God must not love me. He must have abandoned me. He must have done something wrong. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to be honest. If somebody here, if somebody here today, you wanted to write a $1 million check to Redemption Church, listen, I'd be thrilled. I'd go home dancing in the street. I'd call my Edward Jones guy and go, we got to talk. I am an investment king now, Right? And yet we look at this and we go, well, that's not fair. It's not right. In fact, here's what Jesus reveals to us. He says, each were given according to his ability. Now, in this specific part, Jesus is talking about the finances. He's going, you know why the guy got five? Because he could handle the five. He had a track record with the five. The master knew that he wasn't going to the racetrack. The master knew he could handle five. You know why this guy got two? Because he can't handle five. And he might not be able to handle three, but he's not totally sure yet. But I know for sure he can handle two. And you know why this guy got one? Because he can't handle two. And if you gave him five, it would probably kill him. He, he wouldn't even know what to do with it. That each was given according to his ability. And that sometimes... 
the biggest blessing that God gives us is not giving us the things that we want because we simply can't handle them. Now, here's, here's what we got to know about these guys. All three of these guys are servants, but they're also managers. A biblical word would be is that they're stewards. That historically, that these guys would be servants of the master. They would work for the master, but they would actually get paid wages. And not only would they get wages, but they would get bonuses, and they also had the ability to buy property. And so they were kind of on, the, on the, the scale that the, as the master did good, they did good. If the master did really, really well, they did really well. The, the more business the master accomplished, the more business they were able to accomplish. And so that they were about his business, that it was, it was totally customary. If a master was going to go on a long journey, he would distribute some of his wealth and he would give some of his responsibilities to his stewards to go, listen, I want you to be about my business. I want you to do the things that I would normally do. I want you to expand the business. I want you to, to watch over the finances. I want you to continue to make an income. I, I want to give you an investment. But the reason I'm giving you the investment is so that you can be about my business. That odds are in Jesus' story, that as people have heard this, like, oh yeah, that happens all the time. When the masters leave, they use their stewards to keep the businesses running well, to keep uh, the, the markets running, to keep the stocks going. This would happen all the time. In fact, if a master was leaving on a journey and gave investments to his stewards, they knew what he was asking them to do. He, they knew the expectation of the master was to use that to be about his business. Watch this. Matthew chapter 25, verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. Look, you know what these guys did? The master met with them, spoke to them, put an investment in them, and you know what they did immediately? They took the next step. These guys went, hey, I got, I got five million. Hey, I got two million. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take my next step. I'm going to go do what the father told me to do. I'm going to go do what the master told me to do. I'm going to go be about his business. You know, making an investment. And so the servant that made five also happened to, to make some really good uh, trades and, and bought some stuff or sold some stuff. Somehow he took the five and he made five more. So he's got ten. And the guy that had two went, went and did the same stuff. He made two more, so now he has four. These guys took the next steps. They heard what the master said, and they took the next step. Matthew chapter 25, verse 18. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now listen, listen. This isn't smart at all, right? I mean, let's just, let's just pick on the guy for a minute. This isn't smart. Like, if I gave you a million dollars and you got a coffee can and you started walking around your backyard, I'd be like, just, just give, me, give it back. <laughs> give it back. Like, what are you doing? See, the guy that got the one decided that the only thing he was supposed to do with the master's investment was protect it. You gave me one, so you know what you're going to get back? One. I'm not going to lose any. I'm not going to make any. You gave me one. I'll give you one in return. Now, that might seem like, oh, he was just playing it safe. He was just trying to do a good thing. But here's the deal. He didn't do what the master was really asking him to do. The master was saying, I want you to be about my business. 
I've entrusted this to you because I'm giving you a purpose. I'm putting an investment in you so that you can be about the business of the master. Now, now what does this mean for us? Because like, if I could give each of you five or two or one million, I would do it. I just don't have that ability. You go, well, what does it mean for us? Well, it means that God is our master, God is our father, has actually made an investment in every single one of us. Every single one of us has time. Every single one of us is given the same 24 hours a day. The question is, what do you do with it? Every single one of you has talents. You have things that you're good at. You have things that just naturally come to you. That there's strengths that you have that for other people might be weaknesses. That there's probably people that know you, that there's certain things that you do, and they go, man, I could never do that. Just like you might look at other people and go, I don't know how he pulls that off. I don't know how she pulls that off. Uh, I have a, a snowblower, and it was a gift to me, and I try to take really good care of it, but a belt broke on it. And so I decided, because I'm a church planter, which means I'm broke, that I wasn't going to pay somebody else to fix it. I was going to fix it. And so I took it apart, which was awesome. I got the broken belt off, which was awesome. I even got a new belt for it, which was awesome. I even got the new belt on the bottom of the pulley. Here was the problem. I couldn't get it over the other pulley. And you can verify with my wife, I had bloody knuckles. I spent hours of time, and I was just defeated. I was just convinced it was the wrong pulley. Like, I mean, this was, just, I don't know, mathematically, engineering-wise, scientifically, there's no way this thing could ever go on that thing. And then two guys stopped over. And it was interesting, this doesn't really help the story, but they were coming from a funeral. So they were in dress clothes, suits. And we're kind of hanging out in the, in the garage, in the driveway, and, and they go, hey, what's going on with your lawnmower? And I go, I just haven't fixed it yet, but we're fixing it right now. And I'm like, okay, so literally in like five minutes, in suits, they're like, well, you got to take this off, bro. And I'm like, oh, manual, what do you mean? And like in suits. One guy's like, you got a pry bar? I'm like, I got that. He goes, that's a pry bar. I'm like, awesome. So in suits, we put on, it started at work. See, I couldn't have done that. At least I didn't. They had gifts and talents that I don't have. And I stood back and went, I could have never done that. See, God's given you time, and he's given you talents, and he's given you treasure. He's given you finances. In fact, if you're a believer, if you've been saved by Jesus, not only do you have that, but the scripture says that when you get saved, Jesus puts the Holy Spirit in you as a seal, as a mark of your salvation, and he also puts an investment in you that every single one of you have a spiritual gift. And you have at least one. Maybe you're like the guy in the story, you go, I only got one. Well, it's still one. And maybe you're like the girl and the guy in the story who has two, or maybe you have five, but God's put an investment in you so that you can be about the master's work in your home, in your schools, in your workplace. See, this is where the story gets real. Matthew chapter 25, verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came, and he settled accounts with them. Now, for two out of three, this is awesome, right? They see the master coming. They're like, the master's coming, the master's coming, the master's coming. For one, he's sitting there with a rusty coffee can going, crap. <laughs> you see, the, the phrase settled accounts with them is important. Because remember what Jesus is talking about. He's coming to, talking about the end times. 
He's talking about the time when every single one of us will stand before his father and give an account. He says, listen, you know what the end times are like? It's like a master who gave investments into some servants. And one day, the master comes home. And every single servant will stand in front of the master and give an account for his life. For you and for me, I think it goes something like this. I think Jesus will ask us two questions. What did you do with my death on the cross and my resurrection? Did you believe in it? Did you treasure it? Is it yours? What did you do with my death on the cross and the resurrection? And number two, what did you do with my blessing? They go, listen, what did you do with my life and my death and my resurrection? Did, did it save you? Is it yours? And then what did you do with the blessings that I gave you? What did you do with the air in your lungs? What did you do with all those heartbeats? What did you do with that time, with that talent, with that treasure, with that spiritual gift I gave you? What did you do with all those opportunities? Because now after a long time, the master came home and settled accounts with them. Matthew chapter 25, verse 20. And he who received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and here I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Jesus reveals the master's heart was always to give his servants joy. It was always to give them a blessing. It was always about, hey, would you trust me enough? Would you have enough confidence? Would you take the investment that I've given you? Would you be obedient to me so that I could give you joy? So that in the process of the doing, in the process of the trusting, in the process of taking the next step, that you would experience my joy. Joy is a quality or an attitude of delight and happiness, which is ultimately grounded in the work of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Joy is more of a state of being rather than an emotion. Joy is a result of choice. So we don't think about joy that way. But see, if you really studied your Bible and you opened up your word, you'd see all throughout the Bible God commands us to have joy. See, it's different than happiness, but it includes happiness because like, you can't command anybody to be happy, right? You like, take a road trip with your kids or yell in the back say, be happy! It doesn't work. Right? Wives, you ask your husbands to do the, the honey-do list and you tell them, be happy about this. It never works. When the Bible commands us to have joy, it's about would you actively make a decision that would lead you to joy? But would you be obedient? Would you take a next step? Would you activate your faith? Would you activate the confidence you have in the Lord? Now, now here's the thing. Joy is everlasting. See, happiness changes. Happiness is so fluid and so fleeting. Last night at about 9 o'clock when I cleared off my driveway so it would be easy for us to get in the car and leave this morning to come to Meadowland, I was happy. This morning when I woke up to like three or four more inches, I was no longer happy. At all. I'm kind of mad. Because nobody consulted me about the snowfall schedule. Christmas would have been awesome, but today, not so much. But joy is about being. It's about presence. 
It's about that state of being, more than emotion, about the choices, the result of a relationship, the result of stepping, the result of trusting. Now, here's why joy is so important. Because if we're honest, we know nothing on the planet brings us satisfaction. Not for long, anyway. Right? Like at Christmas, the kids open up all the toys, and it's awesome until a toy breaks. And now that toy's not awesome anymore. Or maybe this Christmas you gave somebody a gift and it was the wrong gift. And they're like, you got a gift receipt? And you're like, well, that didn't satisfy you very long. And we get things that might satisfy us for a while. And I love the question that C.S. Lewis poses. That if nothing on this planet can bring us permanent satisfaction, then maybe, just maybe, it means that we were created more than this world. Maybe we were created for something entirely different. And that if we want joy, there's something about stepping. There's something about that next step. There's something about that trusting. Matthew chapter 25, verse 22. It happens again. And he also had the ten talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and here are the two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who also received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid, and I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. Here have what is yours. I think there's three things we see in the response of the one servant guy. I think there's three reasons he never took his next step. I think there's three reasons he never did what his master told him to do, and I want to hit on these quick. The first one is this, procrastination. I just honestly believe, and this is from the Adam Reardon version of the Bible, the ARSV, is I think he thought he had more time. I just think the master's like, I'll get, I'll, I'll get around to that investment. I mean, he only gave me one, so I mean, there's only so much I can do with him. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that next week. He'll probably be gone for a month. I'm good. And when the master came home, was off in the distance, he was probably the guy going, I missed it. He procrastinated. He just kept putting it off. No, I'll get to that eventually. No, I'll get to that eventually. Sooner or later. Yeah, no, I'll get to that maybe by next year. See, the thing we have to be careful about is not procrastinating our next step. Maybe you're thinking, maybe it's time for you to surrender your life to Jesus. I wouldn't put that off anymore. Maybe you think it's time for you to step up and get baptized. I wouldn't put that off anymore. Maybe it's time for you to start serving. I wouldn't put that off anymore. Maybe it's time to forgive someone or surrender certain areas of your life. See, I just wouldn't put that one off anymore because here's what Jesus reveals to us. See, we never know when the master's coming. And see, another day to us, hey, maybe I'll do it tomorrow, might be the day the master returns and we have to give an account. Don't procrastinate. And see, we, we, we get this one wrong, at least I think I get it wrong a little bit, because when we, we talk about faith being a journey and we talk about that, and I absolutely believe that, sometimes we glorified what I call delayed obedience. And we hear God's word and we know what's right, and it's like, but I, I just need to wrestle with God. I just need, I just need to process and see, as your pastor, I want to tell you, oh, yeah, process and wrestle. Be a Jacob and wrestle with God. Although he limped from that, by the way, just so you know. 
But here's the thing. For Christmas at our house, our kids, more than anything, wanted the Lego Batman 3 video game. Like, literally, they asked everybody. They asked everybody. What do you guys want for Christmas? Lego Batman 3. PlayStation 3, that's what, that's what we want. And, like, my kids love the game because it's about levels. They want to beat all the levels. And then there's all these superheroes, which I think are cool. I have boys, and so I want to turn those boys to men. And so I like that they like superheroes and that they're kind of into that stuff. And so, so then my wife and I have this problem then because we monitor their game time where it's like, hey, it's time to turn the video game off. Or like an all-out brawl happens. Like, I'm going to be Batman. No, I'm going to be Batman. Okay, now I'm Batman. I'm Superman. We're going to fight over who's going to be Batman. So we just monitor it. And so here's what happens. Like, guys, it's time to turn the video games off. One minute. Did I say a minute? Or did I say turn the video game off? But we got to finish the level, Dad. No, you can save that bad boy. I played the game. You can save it. And see, the question for you as a parent, I would ask this is, when does your children's delayed obedience become disobedience? And I would argue with you it's a pretty short amount of time. Like if I was like, hey, kids, I want you to turn the PlayStation off. And my sons were like, but Dad, I got to wrestle with it. I got to weigh out the options. I'd be like, I'm coming in the room. I'm going to spank you, child. Like, what, what are you thinking? Or if Norm was like, Dad, I'm just emotionally processing what it'll be like when we turn the video game off. I'm just, <sighs> be like, kid. See, sometimes we put things off that God has spoken clearly to us about so long, but here, here's the deal. It turns into disobedience. It's no longer delayed. And I want you to have room to wrestle. I want you to have room to process. And I want you to intellectually and emotionally always process through what Jesus is calling you. But here's, here's what I'm telling you. Sooner or later, the delayed obedience becomes disobedience. And this guy put this decision off for so long that he was no longer able to make the decision that God told him to do. Which leads us to number two. He completely misunderstood who God is. Completely misunderstood because here's what he says to the master, right? Well, you're wicked. Listen, I know about you. You're a hard man. You reap where you don't sow, and like you're just a bad guy. And I'm like, he gave you money, bro. Like He employs you. And, and here's all we know about the master in Jesus' stories. It seems like he's a good master. Because the master in the, in the story represents God. In all the parables, it's, it's so that we can see who God is and we can see who we are and so we can apply it to our lives. And the master is the one giving the gifts. The master is the one that's calling people to account. And this guy goes, you're a hard master. In fact, I don't think you're totally honest with your money. In fact, I was uh, afraid of you. See, I think this, master, because he, this man, because he didn't understand who his master was, he completely missed out on the joy which should be a warning to us. Often, we do not recognize the processes and the situations and the people that God is using in our lives to lead us to the blessing. See, I want to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, and I think he just thought, man, you're giving me this money, and I'm going to have to do all kinds of work. I'm not going to be able to see my family this weekend. Like, i got to go make investments. i got to go into town. I never want to go into town. There's going to be a lot of work. This is going to be hard. I'm going to have to get uncomfortable. And the master goes, but don't, don't you realize I'm trying to lead you into my joy? So we just love to receive. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. 
See, sometimes the process of blessing means I have to take a next step. It means I have to go through some things to enter into the joy of the master. See, I think this guy just completely missed out on understanding who God was. The last one is this, fear. Fear. What you fear will control you. And this is what he says, verse 25. So I was afraid. I was afraid of you. I was afraid of the responsibility. I was afraid of this, this whole thing. So I just, I just went and hid the money. I was afraid. And see, that's important for us because maybe for some of us, as we think about our next step, we think about the fear that we have. What will people say? What will people think? My family's not totally on board. There's a little bit of friction over this thing. Like, what will my friends say? What will what, what, happen to my Friday nights? What will my weekends look like? Listen, I've never done this before. I don't want to look foolish. In fact, this is making me a little bit uncomfortable. I might have to get outside my comfort zone. What if people discover who I really am and find out I'm not nearly as awesome as I pretend to be? What if? And see, the things that we fear will ultimately control us. Matthew chapter 25, verse 26 in closing. But his answer, answer him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. This is a great question. So you think I'm a wicked, hard man who steals money? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, will be, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who, who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servants into the darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now listen, there's all kinds of like, exegetical studies about what that last part means. And listen, I'm just a simple guy. And here's what I know for sure. When the master returned, two of the guys that took their next steps entered into the joy of the master. But the one guy who procrastinated, the one guy who let his fear rule him, the one guy who didn't really understand who his master is, entered into a world of regret. See, I just think for you and me as we enter 2015, here's the question, what's your next step when it comes to your relationship with Jesus? Because if you take that step, you'll enter into your master's joy. But if you don't, you'll enter into regret. Which leads me to this last question. If you were standing in front of God today, would everything be okay? If the master returned today, and ask you to give an account for your life, would everything be okay? And here's what I believe. If you have air in your lungs and your heart's still beating, then God's not done with you yet. And every single one of us had made mistakes. Every single one of us have procrastinated. Every single one of us have missed opportunities. So we can't change the past, but we can make decisions about today and step into our future. You see, I don't mean to come down or seem harsh because I, I think it works this way. Every single one of us has growing to do. Everything, every single one of us has next step to take. And I think it's like having children. See, my kids aren't where they need to be yet because they're still growing up. Because they're still learning. Because they're still wrestling. Because they're still growing. But as a parent, I love them anyway. 
And see, I can't wait till the day they reach that maturity point. But for now, I love them where they are. I nurture them. And I do my best to create them to be the men that I think God wants them to be. And the same is true for you. Wherever you are today, God loves you. He cares for you. In fact, he has a purpose for you, and he wants you to enter into his joy. The question is, will you take that next step? Following Jesus is about taking one step, followed by the next step, followed by the next step. What's yours? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our time together here this morning in this place. We thank you for your word. God, I pray as we wrap up our time here together this morning by worshiping you for who you are, by the giving of our gifts to you, God, I pray that you would just show up in our hearts and in our minds. God, I pray that you would just be so clear and revealing to us what our next step is, and God, that we would say yes to you. God, I pray that we would be people who enter into our master's joy. God, that we would experience you, that we would trust you, and that whatever our next step is, we'd be willing to take it as soon as possible in obedience to you. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.